eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 72. We got a lot to talk about. The Nationals win another home series with another walk-off win. That's nine of their last 11 home games in the win column. But huge news after the game, including the demotion of Luis Garcia. And speaking of news in the minors, Dylan Cruz set to debut in Fredericksburg after a big game in the Florida Coast League. James Wood is homered in a couple of straight contests. There's a lot to get into, and we're going to start doing it right now on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Boston Lose Baseball, episode 72. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review so that you're notified. Whenever we post a new episode, we come out with two a week. And it would be really, really nice if you left a comment and gave us a five-star review as well. So we try to grow this sucker. I'm Grant Paulson, joined as always by Toby Altizer. Toby, it's been a crazy last 48 or so hours for the Nationals. You thought after the trade deadline was pretty quiet post Jamer Candelario, maybe we were just going to kind of drift through the week. It didn't work out that way, huh? No, and you see plenty of people frustrated with the moves that the Nationals did not make at the trade deadline, looking at Finnegan and looking at Lane Thomas. You see people questioning what's going on with Luis Garcia. So a lot of stuff going on with the Nationals, but if we're just looking on the field, good series for the Nats to get two or three from the Brew Crew to find a way to get some wins there. It's uh. Again, it's about developing the young guys. That's what the last couple months of the season. But anytime you can win some ball games, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I guess we could start with just the the big picture thought on uh, another series win at home and another walk-off win. Uh, Like the win they had over, maybe it was the Rockies, if memory serves, but to to end the last homestand when they came back with four runs in the ninth and C.J. Abrams had the walk-off hit. The winner on Wednesday at Nats Park, while awesome was more about the other team screwing up than the Nationals doing a lot right. There were multiple errors in the inning for the Brewers. You you have a third baseman charging and throwing a ball wide of the catcher off his glove that scored not just the tying but the winning run. But you put yourself in a position to steal the game, right? I mean, they pitched really, really well. The bullpen was splendid. Notably, uh, another good outing from Jordan Weems. And uh, Jose Ferrer was very solid. Finnegan has been outstanding lately. So all three of those guys combined for three innings, one over the minimum without a walk. I think they gave up just one hit. And for the second time all season, Mackenzie Gore pitched six innings and allowed five or fewer base runners. He was dynamite, uh, really efficient, wasn't striking many guys out, wasn't missing many bats. He had nine swings and misses all game. He had two strikeouts after five innings. ended up punching out the side in the sixth, which was, I thought, one of the best sequences of his entire season to empty the tank, mid-80s pitches, He's got runners on second and third after a pretty unlucky three-batter run to start the inning where a run was in, and then there were two in scoring position after what was a uh, like an infield hit and a jam shot double. And so now the run's in. You're frustrated. You got two on in scoring position. 
and nobody out. And he went to work and got three straight strikeouts to have a quality start, six innings. And again, five batters face total. Uh, really, really good outing for Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, for Gore, really impressed with what he was able to do. Like you said, he got into some trouble in that sixth inning, and then he's able to to get out of it. And I really like the way that Davey went about it. Maybe if you're looking at a time earlier in the season, you'd like to see him try to go out there for the seventh because he could have probably gone out there, and if he was efficient, maybe got through the seventh. But you're limiting his innings. He's already gone past his career high in innings pitched. So just leave him alone in terms of that. And basically go out there and tell him, hey, man, finish out the sixth inning, empty the tank here, figure out a way to get out of this, and that's it for you. And that's exactly what he did. Like you said, some tough luck. But, you know, the thing that we've talked about a lot with Mackenzie Gore is can he manage his emotions on the mounds? And I don't know if you saw the video, Grant, of the game where – Earlier in the game, he gave up the home run to Tyrone Taylor, and it was on a 2-1 count. He threw a fastball up in the zone, a little bit out of the zone. Tyrone Taylor gets on top of it, sends it out to left. But the two balls in that count were pitches that were at the knees and probably should have been called strikes. Angel Hernandez in his first game back calling balls and strikes in the major leagues didn't give the call to Mackenzie Gore. But he came back and pitched well after that. And even in the sixth inning, gets into trouble and buckles down and finds a way to get out of it. And those are the sort of things that make you think, this guy has ace potential. Those are the sort of things. The frustrating parts are when he's walking guys and maybe he gets a little bit too emotional and can't control it. But when you can get into jams like that, like he has done a couple of times this season and then get out of it, that's really encouraging, and that makes you think, all right, down the road, if he can channel some of these things and continue to mature and become a little more efficient with his pitches, this is a guy that you could see as a number one or number two starter on a good ball club. It was just great to see Angel Hernandez come back in midseason form, <laughs> just calling middle-middle strikes balls and really being bad at his job. I missed him, and, and baseball is better with him screwing up calls, I kid because I'm care. Uh, all right, uh, that's enough on on the kind of the team's results because if we're being very honest, those aren't as important as some of the storylines with some of the the long term building block type players. So uh, Corey Dickerson getting uh, released essentially and and being out of the organization. Uh, with all due respect to him, he was not having a particularly good year. He he was a one off signing for a, a one year plan. That's fine, whatever. Luis Garcia being demoted again. This has happened now every year, pretty much, that he's been in the big leagues. And it feels like you know, he's been around forever. It's because he has, right? He's 23 now. So he was in the majors at 19 years old, I think it was, in 2020. Then we saw him in, in 2021 when he was, uh, maybe it was 20 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old, and 23 years old as he's in his fourth season. So we've been seeing this kid forever, and he feels much older than he is. So I'm not going to write the book on him just yet, but... Here's the fact on Luis Garcia. The results have been really, really bad here recently, and it's trending in the wrong direction. I'm not just talking about the last several games where he was five for his last 24, hitting 208. That's a small sample. Or the last 15 games where he was 11 for 51, hitting 216. You know, if you look at the, the numbers in July, he was hitting barely over 215. If you look at his last 30 games, which goes back, you know, through July and into the end of June, uh, because of the all-star break. It's a 220 average, which isn't maybe demotable, but the OPS is sub 550. I mean, the league average for OPS is around 720 when you're talking on base and slugging. And while he makes a lot of contact and he doesn't strike out a ton, which is good, he does not really walk. So if you're not hitting, you're not getting on base. And the power has essentially disappeared. You know, whereas we talk about C.J. Abrams and Kbert Ruiz, finding more power this season and the slug being up substantially. You know, Luis Garcia slugged well over 400 each of the last two years, and he's slugging 360 right now. His OPS is lower right now as they demote him than it has been at any point in his career. It was about 670 as a rookie, 686 in his sophomore stint, over 700 last year, and it's 655 right now. So he's not driving the ball and getting A swings off. It doesn't seem like he's progressing like they need him to offensively. And while he is making a lot of contact, he has given up some of the power to do it, which is the opposite of probably what they have been instructing and wanting him to do. So for all of those reasons, that's why they're demoting him. 
we could talk about if they should or you know whether or not this is a guy that you should be playing every day while you're a bad team playing out the string in the final couple of months. But it's not crazy that he got demoted in the sense that, I mean, this is trended in the wrong direction, and it seems like he's lost his confidence at the plate. Yeah, I mean, I think this is more so just to try to get some of that confidence back. And the player they call up is Jeter Downs. And part of me wonders if it's this grant. They look at it and say, Luis Garcia probably just needs a little stint where he can get things going again. He always does well in the minors. Get some of that confidence back. And, you know, you maybe look at some of the other guys that you would think that maybe could have got called up. I think specifically of a guy like Darren Baker. Maybe they could have considered that. There are some, you know, some other extenuating circumstances with Baker, some injuries and various things. But with Jeter Downs, maybe they're going to just take a look at him for a couple of weeks, try to get him some more regular at-bats up at the major league level just to evaluate things, knowing that at some point Garcia is going to come back up and take that spot. And if Downs does well, then he can hang out around the big league ball club for a little while. Or if things really struggle and things kind of go like they have really all season for Jeter Downs, that's a guy I could see the Nationals saying, hey, we took a shot, didn't work out, adios. So, you know, we'll see with Luis Garcia. I know some people are really frustrated about it, and I think it's understandable that you could be frustrated that, you know, we just talked about this leading in here, that this last couple of months of the season are going to be about the young guys. It's about developing them. It's about giving them at-bats. You know, that's why Corey Dickerson, gets released is to give Stone Garrett more at-bats. You bring up Rutherford to give him at-bats. So that's what the whole last couple months of the season are going to be. And then in the same sort of breath, you send down Luis Garcia. So it doesn't necessarily seem like it matches up, but he's been playing pretty regularly all season long. He's been struggling as you just chronicled there. So maybe they're just looking at it. Let's give him another chance in the minors to get some of that confidence back bring him up for the last month of the season, maybe you know a couple weeks added on there as well, just to give him some confidence. But send him down, see what you got in Cheater Downs. But ultimately, Garcia is going to come back up at some point and still play a lot of second base for this ball club the rest of the year, I'd imagine. Yeah, assuming they call him back up fairly quickly, and by that, realistically, I mean you know within the month, let's say, before the start of September, I don't have any problem with this, to be honest. Because I've also heard some things, uh, I, want, I want to be somewhat careful with this, but some rumblings that, you know, maybe there's at times a lack of focus and, you know, some things where, like, they have a lot of the same conversations and the adjustments that they're asking. And I don't, I, this is a hard game. I don't mean, like, the results aren't there. But, hey, you got to try to do it this way. And maybe for a day that happens and then it's not that way again a couple days later. And there's only so much of that that you're going to go through before I think you start to get a little frustrated. And maybe this is a message that they're sending, right? In the past, I don't think anyone's ever been upset when he's coming up and down. He's going back and forth. This is the first time where you're going, really? He's 23. He's been your everyday second baseman all year. You're a bad big league team. Why would you send this guy down? I really do believe it's a little bit of a trying to shake him and wake him up a little bit and say, hey, man. Nothing's given to you here. Like we got dudes in the minor leagues coming and we can find a way to move one of them to second base if we need to. Now I will say defensively, I think he's made major strides. I think you may have mentioned that, but I love the um, progress he's made de <coughs> defensively. There was a time over the last couple of years where I just didn't trust him when the ball was hit to him. And that is not the case this year. I think mostly he's been outstanding. Um, there, there, <coughs> there has been, excuse me, since he came up, questionable kind of baseball IQ decisions at times. And you he was young. And I've always kind of said that, oh, <clears throat> he's young. You know, I'll I'll deal with it, whatever. But I remember thinking this with Victor Robles after, you know, he had played for so long. It, it reminded me of the scene in Wedding Crashers where uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn are sitting on the steps at the Capitol. Uh, and, and they're talking about, oh, well, you know, we're young. And he goes, we're not that young anymore. Like at some point, I think he's been. I think I saw he had 11, 1100 plate appearances now in the big leagues. So yeah, he's twenty three, but at some point you got to start putting it together. So my hope is he goes down, gets the message, has some success. You you made a good point. He has pretty much always thrived and hit pretty well in the minor leagues. Maybe he starts to string some games together at Rochester, and then they call him up, and he never goes to the minors again. That's the hope, right? Yeah, and I think to your point, Grant, with the not sticking with maybe an approach or something they want, 
I think the easiest thing you can go back to is er, at, at the end of May, you had the six hit game against the Kansas City Royals. Go six for six. Very impressive. Right? Oh, I forgot about that. Shooting the ball the other way, looking great. And then he went hitless the rest of the series and 10 plate appearances. And it, it seemed like he completely abandoned what he had done in, in those six plate appearances the game before where he got a hit in every single one. And I think that's kind of what you've seen at times with Luis Garcia. Maybe they're working saying, hey, man, go the other way with some things. You're you're at your best when you're going you know, up the middle the other way. And maybe he does it for a game and he goes two for five. And then the next day he's 0 for 5 with two strikeouts because he's trying to pull the ball again. I think it is about sending a message to an extent because there have been times when Luis Garcia has been a very good ball player this year, and it just hasn't been the case the last couple of months. But, you know, if you send a message and say, hey, man, look, like you said, you're not going to be guaranteed to be the starting second baseman for this ball club. So don't get that in your head. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to grind. When we try to instruct you on things, we're trying to help you out. And so... We'll see. I think, you know, he can still be the everyday second baseman for this team. I think you've seen that at times this year. You mentioned the defense. It's improved a whole lot. So you have confidence that he can at least play defensively a lot better than what he's looked like in the past. So I have confidence he can do it. I think this is more so to just send a message and get some of that confidence back and make sure he understands, like you said, like, look, man, you're not guaranteed to be the second baseman of the future. So listen to us and make sure you're grinding every day or it can be taken away very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it could be, look, you're not asking for him to be an, an uh, elite bat as well as he might be able to handle second base, right? If he hits 260 plus with a 750 OPS and he hits you 15 home runs, like that could be a really serviceable option at second base in an infield where you might have Brady House at third and and uh, C.J. Abrams at short. I think the first base spot is kind of to be determined. But, you know, ultimately, if Dylan Cruz and James Wood are in that outfield and Luis Garcia still at second, like I, I wouldn't be overly surprised. But uh, the arrow's trending down on the stock report, clearly, as he was sent down after a walk-off win. Now, we mentioned that Dickerson's out of the organization. That frees up a spot. You referenced this for Blake Rutherford, who I wanted to hit on. Uh, Rutherford, we've talked about on the pod several times this season. He is 26. He is a former first-round pick by the White Sox. Uh, Blake Rutherford, well, he was in the White Sox organization, I should say. I believe originally maybe with the Yankees, uh, if memory serves. But um, he, his professional, his minor league time, goes back to 2016. And uh, he was a top-20 pick. And I remember this guy being a top-50 prospect way back in the day. Uh, fizzled out, didn't go well. He hit early on a, a bunch in the minors. Then he got hurt, and it just the production dropped off. But the Nationals signed him this offseason, and they sent him to Double A Harrisburg to start his time with the organization. And he killed the ball. He played in 32 games in Double A, hit over 340 with a 1,000 OPS. So they were blown away, and I think impressed. And so they sent him to Triple A and said, "All right, let's see what happens." Well, now he's played 30 games at Rochester, and he's hit 350 with a 950 OPS. And on the season, he's got 11 home runs, and he can run a little bit. He's 7 for 8 stolen bases, but a 980 ops and a 345 batting average at the two highest levels of the minors. So I think he's played well enough, Toby, that they're basically in a mode now where they're thinking, what the heck? Let's see what this guy does. I mean, they just struck gold on Lane Thomas, who is a late bloomer, who they called up to the show and probably didn't have the highest expectations for. And then he played like an all-star for a couple of months at an age that is comparable when he finally broke into the show and was an organizational player of the year for the Nationals last year to what Rutherford is right now. So I I've been really pining for this the last few weeks. I've been texting a lot of people in the organization and trying to figure out what the plan was and when he was coming up and why he hadn't. Uh, but I'm excited about this. I, I don't have delusions of grandeur. I don't think this guy is going to be a future all-star or, frankly, I'm not even sure that he'll be a starter for the Nats in the outfield you know, next year or the year after. They got a lot coming in, in the, the outfield. But I do think in terms of the next couple of months of this grind at the end of the season, I will put this as in the pile of things that I'm most excited to watch. Yeah, and I think that they're going to plug him right into that Corey Dickerson role where he was platooning with Stone Garrett. I think this is a twofold thing. They don't want Stone Garrett to be going out there against right-handed pitchers because I think they understand what he is. Listen to the platoon splits for Garrett this year. 
Against righties, 238, 323, 321, 644 OPS. Against lefties, 265 batting average, 336 on base, 510 slug, 846 OPS. So clearly a very good player against left-handed pitching. And so you bring in a guy that's a left-handed bat that, you know, similar to what Dickerson was doing. And this is what Rutherford's done against right-handed pitching in the minors this year. 351 batting average, 391 on base, 618 slug for an over 1,000 OPS. So I think what you're going to see is left field is going to be similar to what you were seeing with Dickerson and Garrett, and they're just going to platoon righty and lefty depending upon who's on the mound. And I think this works in both players' favors. Rutherford's going to face righties almost exclusively, and even if he starts against the righty and they bring in a lefty late in the game, they'll just pinch hit Stone Garrett. And I think it's good for Stone Garrett as well. I think both of these guys are going to realize, you know, this is kind of their role, especially Stone Garrett. You brought this guy over. He's played in the majors the entire year, really. And, you know, we were pining for more playing time early in the season, and now he's getting it. And I think they're seeing what he is, and they're just going to kind of platoon him against left-handed pitching. And you work that with Rutherford now for the rest of the year against right-handed pitching, and I think it works out perfectly for both guys. Yeah, what I like about this, I think, the most is it's been a long time, Toby, since the Nats in the minor leagues have started to have some guys that they just kind of brought in and out of nowhere, they became interesting. Um, now, I'm not telling you these are players that are long-term answers, but I'm thinking like Joey Manessis last year. They signed him as a minor league free agent. He had big numbers at AAA in a couple of organizations over several years, including last year. Then they promote him to the show after trading Juan Soto, I think on the day of the deadline maybe. And, and he, of course, carried him for the final couple of months. Um, now you've got Rutherford, who th these might be, you know, 4A types. I mean, Manessis, I think, has proven this year that he's a major league offensive player. He just doesn't have a position, and and he's a DH. But maybe Rutherford similarly proves, I'm a major league baseball player. Now, am I a first division starter? Am I going to play 148 games for a 99-win a team? Probably not. But it has been a while since they have not developed, because these guys are, you know, in Manessis' case, he was about 30. Rutherford's case, he's 26, but just gotten to a point where they've had players like this in their system they could call up. You know, for a long time, that was just not the case. They lacked that type of depth organizationally. So that part intrigues me. Uh, but I would also say just this player and this skill set is interesting in the way he hit. I mean, he just raked. Good breakdown on the right versus left. Um, those details are interesting. But to your point, they're going to put him in a position where he can try to thrive now and help in a platoon situation, which I think is really cool. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dang, zoom. Let's dive into some other things in the minor leagues. Got to start with Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz is going to make his debut in uh, what I'll say like his full season baseball uh, in A-ball with the Fredericksburg Nationals on Saturday. So if you're listening to this pod when it drops on Friday, we're taping on Thursday night. Uh, this coming weekend, Saturday, uh, is when he's going to make his debut. If it's already Saturday, you should check the box score and see how he fared. Uh, I cannot wait. We're going to go. Uh, a little show field trip. Are you coming down with us, by the way? Absolutely. Couldn't All miss right. it. We're piling in the car with my kids. We're headed down 95. Uh, yeah, they got to go see Gus, and Toby's got to go see Dylan Cruz. But um, what, what happened was it was interesting. So... Cruz made his debut as a professional, like all together after several days of trying to get in some shape and hadn't played baseball in a little while post-draft. They had him at the facility. Then he played one game in the complex league. 
He had three at-bats. This was on – this was today. This was Thursday. Three at-bats. He saw three pitches, and he had three hits. He had a double <laughs> and two singles. He was first pitch swinging three times and had three hits. Uh, having seen the video, the double was to right center. The first single, I think, was uh, in the 5-5 five, five hole and you know between short and third. And I'm pretty sure the other knock was like right back up the box. So he saw three pitches and had three hits in his debut. And I think they'd already made up. I think they had the plan in place, frankly, before he, he played in that game. But as soon as the game had ended, um, you know, I was able to, to track someone down and, and found out that he was going to be playing in Fredericksburg. So here we go. If you are a fan of the Fred Nats, if you're in the Fredericksburg area or the D.C. area and you want to see Dylan Cruz, I mean, I'm sure they're going to sell out and tickets are selling quickly. But it's going to be a hell of a night at the ballpark to watch the LSU Tiger College World Series champion, who was the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy winner, the Golden Spikes Award winner in college baseball this year, and the number two overall pick, make his much-anticipated debut this weekend. Yeah, I mean, if you get the chance, go down there this weekend and see him Saturday and Sunday because they go on the road for their next series, and they'll come home for the next series. But at this point, Grant, I mean, I don't know how long Dylan Cruz is going to be in able. I would expect at some point in the near future, he ends up in double-A as well. So, I mean, unless you want to drive up to Harrisburg, if you're up that direction, maybe you want to go see him at Harrisburg when he gets up there. But if you're in this area, you want to go down to Fredericksburg and see this guy because this is the future of the Nats. You know, you've had the opportunity to see James Wood when he's come out down here to Bowie, and, you know, he's hit a couple of home runs. I'm sure we'll hit on that in just a couple of minutes. But Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Brady House, those guys are the future of this franchise. You know, you get a couple of the guys in the major leagues, but those three in particular, I think are going to be real big impact players for this organization going forward. And finally getting to see Dylan Cruz, this guy that just tore up the sec. Like you said, the golden spikes award winner, that guy's a Washington national. I don't think we can just let that, you know, it's not something that you can breeze over. Like that guy is going to be wearing a curly W for a long time for this organization. So it's a good thing to see and excited to see him in Fredericksburg. Yeah, it's still kind of stunning they got him at number two because he was he came into the season. He ended the season as well. The best player in college baseball. And I mean, we were all over skeins and we talked for hours on this pod about how exciting it would be if, if they added him. But typically the best bat in the country when that best bat is is pretty special goes one one. And it didn't happen this year. And then the Nats are the beneficiaries in adding 21 year old Dylan Cruz. Uh, we've talked a lot about him, but just kind of to remind people about Cruz, most batted balls over 100 miles per hour in college since 2020. His first two years, his max exit velocity was 115, and his 90th percentile exit below was 108. He actually took Skeens on in the game the year before he transferred to LSU, and he had a 413-foot home run off of him, had exit velocities of 111 and 109. Um, I just like how he handled Velo. My favorite stat about him, I've, I've, I think every time he comes up, I, I try to bring this up for people who haven't heard it or are new listeners. He had 53 plate appearances at LSU that ended with velocities of 95 or more. Chase Davis, who was drafted out of Arizona in the Pac-12, and Brock Wilkin out of Wake Forest in the ACC, uh, had five and six respectively. Again, plate appearances that ended at 95-plus. And what that means, Dylan Cruz had 53. They combined for 11. He just faced better pitching. He just faced... You know, the, the best college pitching in the country and got on base in every single game that he played in this season. There was not one single game where he took an over without a walk and didn't reach base. The model of consistency, the contact is loud. I think initially it's going to be mostly doubles and on base and the power is going to come. Uh, it's not a traditional power swing. There's almost some some controlled violence that's Bryce Harper-esque, in my opinion, in his swing. Talking to people who have been around him now and, and seen him cut a bunch. Uh, you remember Bryce, you'll know what I'm talking about, where it almost, if you s slowed his swing down, it looked like an angry, like a controlled angry swing. Dylan Cruz from the right side has some of that. But he had 71 walks against 46 strikeouts this year. Slashed 426, 567, 713. Uh, it's a long track record of success. National freshman of the year set a record uh, at LSU with 18 home runs, then hit 22 as a sophomore before solidifying himself as the best bat in the country this season. But yeah, as you said, I take pride in this too, man. I, I could hear the excitement in your voice. Like he's a national and uh, it's cool. We'll see his first 
game in Fredericksburg. But how about that debut in the Florida Gulf Coast or the Florida Coast League in the FCL? Three pitches, three hits. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. No, I love it. I love the fact that he's being aggressive. I mean, he's obviously much better than the talent that's down there and pretty cool. I mean, he was taking BP off of Tanner Rainey and Carl Edwards Jr. down there as well. So he's getting a, a full immersement down there and excited to see what he's going to do. What do you think is the timeline? I think that's one thing that's kind of cool with drafting a guy like Dylan Cruz, you know, as compo- you know, comparing him to a guy like Brady House that this team drafted a while ago or even Elijah Green last year is – you know, you draft those guys, you're probably not going to see those guys unless they're just, you know, transcendent talents. You're not going to see those guys for a couple of years. There's a realistic timeline, Grant, where you could see Dylan Cruz wearing a curly W playing at Nationals Park with the big league club by the middle to end of next season. So I think that's exciting for people that are Nationals fans because sometimes it's hard, let's be honest, with, you know, prospects. You We cover them all the time, but, you know, that casual fan that just kind of sees on draft night like, oh, they drafted this dude. I'm not going to see him for five years. You know, those sort of things happen. But I don't think that's going to be the case with Dylan Cruz. So what do you think is going to be the timeline that he could get up, you know, and be with the big league club? That's a good question. I think what you're going to see this summer is they're going to give a few of their affiliates an opportunity to benefit from him. So in other words, you send him to Fredericksburg, not coincidentally during a weekend of a big homestand. So they'll get a huge gate and sell out on Saturday night, I'm sure. And then they'll probably get a real nice gate on Sunday. I think they have a bobblehead day on Sunday as well. So those two games before he hits the road, maybe he's there for the next homestand when they come back after a week on the road. I'm not sure. Uh, but I would think then they'd send him to Wilmington to A-plus ball. And you give that affiliate a chance to do the same thing the Fred Nats did today. I got an email to my inbox at 2 in the afternoon or something saying, you know, Nationals phenom Dylan Cruz will play at, I forget what the name of their ballpark is down there in Fredericksburg now, uh, you know, on, on Saturday night, buy your tickets now. So they'll do the same thing maybe with Wilmington. What I, w- what I really hope, though, is he gets to double A before the end of this season, even if it's a cup of coffee, even if it's 8, 10, 12 games. I think the bulk of, of his time will be spent maybe below that, and I'm fine with that. Uh, the SEC is probably on par. I, I would say it might even be a little better than, than what he's going to see in Fredericksburg. Uh, certainly the good pitching is maybe better than he'd see in Fredericksburg, but maybe somewhere between that and Wilmington or, or close to, you know, a a plus level baseball probably, but I want him in double a at the end of the year. And then the answer to your question for me is early next season, he starts the year at double a or he gets to double a really quickly. And I think he's in the major leagues around the all-star break. Probably. Uh, maybe a little bit after, like if you fast forward a year from right now, I think he is adjusting in the major leagues. Um, whether he's been there a week or a month, I'm not really sure, but I think he's in the big leagues a year from now. I think James Woods in the big leagues a year from now. I'm not as convinced, but I think there's a decent chance Brady house could be in the big leagues a year from now. And when you start to think about it that way, like that's pretty fun, right? I mean, if you're going to Nats park, and James Wood is in center, although I, I, I hope they move him to a corner just to save his body because he's so big. It's like playing Aaron Judge in center. But let's say he's in center and Dylan Cruz is in left and Lane Thomas is in right. doesn't matter. You could flip Wood and, and, uh, and Cruz. Um, and then you've got House at third with Abrams and maybe Garcia at second with perhaps a bat that they add, a veteran bat, a Candelario type you know, at first base or something like all of a sudden that's a lot more interesting team than what we've been dealing with all year. And while it's a little bit bullish, I don't think it's unrealistic at all. Like these guys are going to have to now earn it. They're not going to give them anything, but you're in double a and they've been in double a for a few weeks. You know, Cruz is the only guy who's not. And and I promise you he'll be there fast. So once you get there, the nationals have, I mean, look at Juan Soto. How many games did he spend in double A? Like, they don't wait very long as soon as you prove you can do it. I, I think they believe the philosophy that I believe in, which is if you could play in double A, you can play in the majors. Not to say it's the same thing. It's way, way harder. But there's a consistency element just from a sheer stuff. And, and like, that's where a lot of the high-end prospects are. So I, I would bet his ETA, if I had to pick a month in, like, my life's on the line. I would say he's in the big leagues next year in 
August, July, something like that. Love it. Love it. And that's the cool thing about this season, Grant. You just laid it out. Coming into this season, if you would have asked any Nationals fan, one, when they would see those guys, and then two, when do you think they could realistically contend, I think you probably would have had to push it back a year. I think you would have thought maybe House, you know, we, we weren't sure where House was going to be, you know, this season because coming into this year, he wasn't a top 100 prospect. He'd fallen out of some of those publications, top 100. And then you think about James Wood and his ascension this year and other guys. I mean, you were looking at 2025 when maybe those guys could come up and then 2026 when this team, you know, when some of those guys got a cup of coffee in the big leagues and kind of got to learn and then maybe the next year they could contend. I mean, you're looking at pushing up a year. You know, you're looking at those guys playing with the big league club next season. You're looking at hopefully those guys learning and being competitive and hopefully winning in 2025. I mean, look at what the O's have done, right? Last year, a lot of those guys were able to come up and or the impact guys were able to come up and they were competitive, but they didn't get to the playoffs. And look where they're at this year. That's what you're hoping if you're the Nationals, where 2024 is going to be a fun year. We've, you know, we've watched all these guys this season. Those guys are going to continue to get better. You're calling up some more of the young guys. But hopefully by 2025, I mean, this is an aggressive timeline. I understand that. And maybe it's more realistic that they're still going to be more competitive in 2026. But realistically, you could look at 2025 as a big league ball club that's competitive once again. And that's why I think you have to consider this season a success because I don't think coming into the season, many fans would have thought that realistically in two years, this team could be competing for at least a wild card spot in the playoffs once again. Yeah, totally right. I mean, I completely agree with you. And look, is it when you say, well, maybe I'm being a little bit aggressive. Sure. But did people think that the Reds would get the results that they have from all the young guys they've called up, catch fire and be where they are? Did people think the Orioles last year would hang and be in the mix until the very end of the season or kick everybody's ass all over the American League this year like they have? I mean, when you're dealing with young players, it's up to them, but the, the default setting, even for people like me who love the minor leagues, is you expect them to struggle. If C.J. Abrams is plays all of next year like he has here recently, and he's an all-star shortstop, and let's just say either Wood or House comes up and has a huge rookie season and wins NL Rookie of the Year or something like that, or plays at that level you know, for the last two months of the year, and God forbid they actually spend a little bit of money. I mean, we don't know. They could sell the team now, possibly, uh, with some of the developments with the Masson deal. Maybe Ted Leonsis buys the team early in the offseason, and they actually, I don't know, sign a veteran who's good. <laughs> I know that that's illegal around here the last few years. Like, th there is a path to them. I don't think being a playoff team next year, I think that's insane. But to your, you, you said being competitive. Like, the Orioles last year kind of thing, where you're pesky, you're a thorn in the side. Like there are some fans that want to buy at the deadline, even though we'll all know it's a bad idea and then they won't like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, yeah, we're, we're probably putting the cart before the horse. I'm just saying like, it's crazy until it, it, it isn't anymore. Right? Like it was crazy for Reds fans to say all this at the beginning of the year. Oh yeah. I'm sure Matt McClain's going to hit 300 and Andrew Abbott's never going to give up a run for 56 starts. And, and Ellie De La Cruz is going to come up and light the league on fire. And, you know, we, we could go around and around with all the stuff that had to happen, but look at them. I mean, they may win the NL Central. Um, so I get where you're coming from there. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone. Speaking of, of the minor leagues, though, and some of the other guys that we were just alluding to, a uh, couple of notes from the uh, old minor league notebook here the last couple days. So James Wood's gone deep in back-to-back games, which is awesome to see. I believe that's now 17 for him. James Wood's homer tonight was ridiculous. Yeah, it was 112. What's Well, that's true. Both of them were a show. The first one was over the batter's eye, I think, the dead center. Did you see a distance on the one from yesterday, the Wednesday, Homer? I didn't, but that's got to be at least 420, 430. I would think, yeah, I, I was going to say 415-ish, but maybe it, maybe more. The one tonight, though, I guess they just had the track man going because we had it from the broadcast. I believe I saw 440-plus <laughs> and 112 miles per hour. And it was the mo- like the biggest no-doubter in the history of no-doubters. It was so hilarious. Uh, went over a building behind the right field wall. Such a show. Now, I think he struck out three other times in the game, and there are there's still a lot of strikeouts for James Wood right now, which is, again, if, if you go back a few months ago, one of the things I, I said that I really, really liked was I didn't think there were huge holes in the swing or that he'd be a, a huge strikeout guy despite his size. And the strikeout rate, I haven't looked at it, but I, I bet it's creeping up to over – it's got to be over 30% at this point, which is really, really high in the minor leagues. Um not not ideal, but I'm not worried. Like, he makes really hard, loud contact. When he's going good, he's going to left center. Um, you've homered now in a couple of games in a row, a lot of doubles. He's playing at double A. He's young for the level. He's going to have to make an adjustment, all these things. Uh, but I also, when we talk about this all the time, he has long at-bats. He sees a lot of pitches. He's often striking out 2-2-3-2. Two, two, two. It's not like he's having three and four pitch at-bats where he's overmatched. That just doesn't happen that much. I'd almost like to see him more aggressive earlier in counts because I think sometimes he just looks at too many pitches, gets deep into counts, and now, you know, pitcher's got you two strikes and you're in, in defense mode. Um, but I'm, I'm burying the lead. The story is he's hit two unbelievable home runs the last couple of days, Toby. Yeah, and I, I was talking with uh, our guy Adam Pohl after – one of the games at Bowie and he was talking about how Gunnar Henderson, you know, coming from double a to the majors was talking, you know, maybe you got to swing a little bit more in major leagues just because the pitches, I'm not always going to get the perfect pitch to swing at. And, you know, that same sort of thing could be said for, you know, James Wood going from high a to double a, you're not going to get the perfect pitch to swing at every time. So stop waiting for it. Sometimes you just got to put, you know, a decent pitch to swing at and play and make something happen. And I think, you know, the more he gets a little bit more aggressive with it while still having a good eye, I think that can improve maybe some of those strikeouts instead of waiting to the fifth pitch of an at-bat, hoping he gets a meatball, maybe take that second pitch that's a little bit on the outer half and, you know, swing it to left field and just try those sort of things. But I think that comes with maturity, but good to see him. You know, he'd gone on a little bit of a dry spell. Good to see him hit a couple out of the ballpark and show us again why he's one of the top five prospects in baseball. Yeah, and I should point out, I think a short changed him. 18, not 17, home runs now on the season to go with his 14 steals and an OPS that's over 870. Um, so if you were just to, like, beginning of the season, knowing what a big year this was for James Wood, if I was to have told you on opening day of the minor league year, hey, August 3rd, James Wood's going to be 20 years old. He's going to be in double A. He's going to have 18 home runs and an 870 OPS this season. Like you're taking that sight unseen unequivocally. Um, there's some things you can clean up and iron out, no doubt about it. Uh, and he will, I think. I, I bet big time on this guy and on this player. Um, but back to back games with a home run is kind of the story here. Is he is the power to your point is showing up. And after a few weeks where he wasn't driving the ball and coming up with the big extra base hits, and there was a lot of Oh, for threes, one for fours, strikeouts piling up. Uh, seeing those results is a really, really good thing for the Harrisburg Senators. The guy who's been absolutely on fire for Harrisburg is Trey Lipscomb. Lipscomb's a third-round pick last year out of Tennessee where he played for the Volunteers in the SEC. Three hits again today. He went four for five yesterday with two home runs. He went three for four today. He's now hitting 320 in double A. 
Uh, wow. I mean, he got drafted last year. College player. He's on a heater, so this is not necessarily like what it's going to be for him all the time. But he's now for the season up to 284 with a 767 OPS. So his ops this season in 92 games. Now he has played uh, some of his time this year at uh, a plus ball, but it's basically it's it's very similar to where James Wood's been. Right, uh, Wood was a high schooler two years ago. Lipscomb's 23 years old, three years older, and and played college baseball. So much more mature and seen better pitching as an amateur. But I just bring this up to say, like they were both at Wilmington, they're both in Harrisburg, and he's basically got the same OPS this year as James Wood. Uh, he's got 12 homers total in his career because he's got 11 this season after homering in his 23 games and his 100 at-bats last year and hitting about 300. Last year, I saw him several times at Fredericksburg, and I really, really liked the bat. But uh, he looks even better this year. He looks like he's made some adjustments, and uh, he's a dude. I mean, in terms of size, like he, he's thick, he's physical. Um, the other thing that's interesting about him is he started a game at shortstop the other night. So he has now played third base, second base. I'm pretty sure he's played first base this year. And he's played shortstop uh, for the Nats in the minor leagues. And I was talking to someone uh, involved in the Nationals organization in their front office. And I said, uh, I, I bumped into them the other day. And I said, I said, man, I said, y'all had Trey Lipscomb playing shortstop the other night. And uh, the guy kind of smirked and he looked at me. He goes, you like that, huh? You guys didn't know about that. So I don't know if that's something that they think he can do or what, or if it just adds value, or maybe they view him as a utility type guy who could play everywhere. But the bat looks legit right now, Toby. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to what we've talked about all year long. You've mentioned him a lot, Dalen Lyle, guys that have just played really well this season that no one really talks about. I think both of those guys could end up helping the big league ball club. They're not maybe going to be an everyday player, but you know, the nice part with Lipscomb, like you said, going all around the infield, you you know, you talk about Luis Garcia and whether he's going to be the shortstop or the second baseman of the future. Who knows? Maybe Lipscomb can slide in at second base and work with him. There really is no first base prospect right now for this ball club. So if he can play first base, maybe he can take advantage of that. I mean, he's going to have to probably work somewhere on that right side of the infield with Abrams being the shortstop and House being the third baseman of the future. So it's nice to have some versatility from him as well as that bat has really exploded this year. So hopefully he can continue it. But, you know, every single time it seems like you go on Twitter right now and see the Senators tweeting something out, it's Trey Lipscomb. Yeah, which is funny because he's in a lineup with James Wood, Robert Hassel, Brady House. You know, in that lineup, he's hitting 320. Brady House, by the way, after an 0 for 4 on Thursday night, he saw his average drop to 350 at double A. <laughs> I mean, he has killed the ball. Uh, Brady House is only 20, by the way. I mean, him and James Wood are the same age, which is, I don't know, probably four years younger than the average age at double A. Uh, House has nine home runs in game this season, which, you know, when you watch a, a batting practice display, is a, a stunningly low total, but he's got 18 doubles. There's a there's precursors for more power here. But I know it's only been 10 games for him at double A, uh, but 350 average, 870 OPS. It's kind of funny. He only spent 16 games at Wilmington this year. Now, if you look at his breakdown, 36 games in Fredericksburg, they moved him up. That's a very quick stay. I know he was there for some time last year. Then 16 games in Wilmington. I think some of that is you just want to get him out of that ballpark. But double A is that that's the biggest jump in the minors to double A from A plus. And it's just how aggressive they were to give him 60 at bats between Fredericksburg and Harrisburg tells you everything about how they feel about him. And now in his first 10 games and 40 ABs, he's 14 for 40. That's a 350 average and an 870 OPS for him. He's handled his own pretty well. Yeah, I've been really happy to see what he's been able to do. So it's really cool to see so many in this minor league system that maybe you weren't expecting doing so well. All right. Anything else we need to hit here, Toby, before we say goodbye? Final thoughts for you, big leagues, minor leagues, whatever you got. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be remiss if we, you know, we talked about Mackenzie Gore's outing in the Brewers series. I thought Jake Irvin was pretty good. I mean, he didn't get super far in the game, gave up two runs in five and a third, but I thought he pitched really well. And those are the kind of series that are really intriguing. Jake Irvin, Josiah Gray, and True. Mackenzie Gore on the mound. So I, I thought he pitched pretty well, and every single time he goes out there and can show that 
he can be a competitive big league starter, I think is a plus for this ball club. And while we're talking about the pitchers in the series, on the other side, I thought Josiah Gray's start was really bad. Uh, obviously, the numbers certainly were, um, but it didn't go well. And he was probably due for one of those. Because we, I mean, how much have we talked about the peripherals and some of the sustainability of what he's doing? But I think for Josiah Gray, Toby, uh, I'm really curious to see how he bounces back. I, I don't, I'm not nervous. I don't have any delusions that he's, it's worrisome or anything like that. But this is a good thing that mm -hmm. we're now going to watch him respond. He's battled, he's scratched and clawed in starts all year long. I think there's an expectation maybe certainly from the numbers people around baseball, that there's a regression that's a beginning. It sure would be nice to see him bounce back and throw another, you know, six inning, two run outing out there. Yeah. I hopped on with some of my friends from Milwaukee from my time out there and previewing the game the other night. I was like, don't be surprised if Josiah Gray goes out there and has the ugliest six innings of one run ball you've ever seen. But in this case, he wasn't able to have the stuff to get out of it. You know, honestly, you look at his outing the other day, compare it with some of his other outings that have been good. The only difference was the Brewers actually came up with the clutch hit to score the guys. That's the difference. And he's been able to kind of wiggle out of so many jams this season. You figured at some point when you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. He got burnt against the Brewers, but I'm confident that he's going to bounce back. He's had a couple starts before where, you know, he's struggled just a little bit and then figures it out the next start. So You'd love to see him be more dominant, but we've talked about this all year. This is why you love Josiah Gray. Every single time he takes the hill, it's a battle. It's not going to be the prettiest thing ever, but more than likely he's going to keep your ball club in the game going into the late innings, and you got to love that about Josiah Gray. Remember, spread the word on Bustin' Loose Baseball. We give you two pods every single week, deep dives into the minor leagues, break down what's going on at the big league level, all the big storylines with the club that you care about. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, and uh, text and tell a buddy that uh, if they like the Nats, they should be listening to this podcast. Really appreciate everyone checking us out. For Toby and producer Darius Dameron, D-Daddy as the kids call him, I'm Grant Paulson saying so long, and until next time, enjoy Nats baseball.